0: That when they come up, it's almost like a talk show. I love it. It's really cool. The husband and wife come up holding hands. They look so nice. And then they say, how you doing, honey? I'm doing good. Let's tell them some announcements. I mean, you guys probably wouldn't like that. But they like that in that church, okay? Okay. But we said in our church, we said, my wife and I, we we just can't be the face of that which brings spirituality. We just can't be the face of that. We don't want people to see us as something different than the one that they're meeting at their life group or going out and doing evangelism with. We don't want them to see us like, you know, on, on some big stage up here, you know, which our stage is, what is it, Brother Carlos, about six inches? Six inches, yeah. So we don't stand up too high here. We don't stand. I think Berto's still taller than me when I'm on this stage, you know. But we, we said, well, we've got to empower the people to begin to do transitions so that when that moment of uh, expectation for miracles and prayer and the word of the Lord, that they would see that the body of Christ is equipped to do it, that you're able to be used by God no matter who you are. Like we wanted everybody to see we're just like you. So we began to make that transition to have other people do transitions. And and some of you probably, if you look back at your history at Metro Praise, you would say, I never remember you doing it. I don't remember uh, just you and your wife every week doing announcements and so forth. But it was a time. It was here. And I just want to say, and I was going to say this last week, but I, I just got to say it today. I can't, I can't forget this again. What we are experiencing between worship and announcements is second to none. It is powerful. Can we give it up for all the pastoral interns and leaders that do that every week? I know for many of you, it's just like, hey, I come to a church, I get to express a word, they get to pray for me, they get to hear from God. That may just seem normal to you, but it's not. I'm talking even around Pentecostal churches. How many know you're in a Pentecostal church? How many know last week I was teasing you about being Presbyterian because some of y'all were sleeping. You were getting tired with the amens. I tease you about being Presbyterian, but you're Pentecostal. Okay, so you're in a Pentecostal church. But even among Pentecostal churches, it is very rare that in the actual service, we're not talking about at the end, just when everybody's dismissed, which we call the after party, when we open up the altar for God to do what he's going to do, it. It is rare, even today, in Pentecostal churches, to see people lay hands on folks for prophetic words to come out in the middle of worship. That used to be quite uh, common, but now in Pentecostal churches, it's rare. Even around Baptist churches, they would have testimony time and allow you to do all of that where a member could say, you know, because the Bible says if you have a song or a hymn, come and share it. And I re- even remember being in Baptist churches. That's why sometimes you can you can say, I'm Baptist, amen? Because I remember being in Baptist. Churches, and and, you know, does anybody have a song or a testimony? And they would say that, and then here comes a sister, and she would say, Put it in C, and she would start singing her song, and and then you know, start getting hype again, you know, or it would be soft and touching and emotional. I, I remember that, but even now. Even now, in all cultures, not just a certain call, in all cultures, churches have become so professional that you don't allow that anymore. A lot of churches don't allow it because now Sister So-and-So goes up there, she might be off the key, you know, or she might forget her words, or, or uh, what if someone gives a word that, you know, is wrong? And, and thank God we haven't had to correct those, you know, too often in this church. Every now and then we may have to do it, but, you know, we allow the congregation to have a word. And so, brothers and sisters, I just want to let you know that's an answer to prayer, That's spiritual growth, I want you to think about that. That spiritual growth, that by the time I get out here to break down the word, which by the way, there's quite a few people here that could do exactly what I'm doing here as well. But I'm saying when I come to do my job, break down the word, think about what has already been accomplished. The spirit of the Lord has spoken to you and what you're going through in your situations. The spirit of the Lord was here. The spirit of the Lord was speaking. And when I meet my friends, uh, as I used to, as I told you, I used to attend the cemetery, which is really the what? The seminary. I've said it a thousand times. And will I say it a thousand more? Yes, I will. Yes, I will. Cause the thing about dad jokes and pastor jokes is they never die. They just never die. So as long as I'm here, as a dad and as a pastor, you will be hearing those kind of jokes. Just to let you know. So while I was there, I met mostly all non-Pentecostals. As a matter of fact, I can't think. Yeah, I can't remember one that was actually like me, spirit-filled. Some were more open to the gifts than others. But these were pastors. This was in my doctoral studies here at uh, uh, when I went to the seminary out there. That I just Trinity. There we go. I, I remember the school I went to. Man, am I getting old? mm <laughs> I forgot the college that I went to. Okay, so I did go to a school out in Deerfield. So I'm tell you now a bunch of unneeded information. And when I was out there in Deerfield at Trinity, I met a bunch of pastors. We were getting our doctorate together. And a few of them uh, would stay over the weekend because we would do our intensives like Monday through Friday. And some of them were international. Like my one friend was from Germany. And he would stay the weekend and just enjoy Chicago and all that we would have to offer here. You'd come by my house and we would hang out. Well, they would come to the service. And just think about this from a non-Pentecostal point of view. Someone who doesn't uh, have services where people speak in tongues, interpretation, prophecy, gifts of the Spirit, laying on a fence, where none of that's there, and then we do that about 20 times just in the first service. So imagine being there. But here's the thing. This is what I would always say to them to prep them, because I do want to prep them. I know some of you just bring your friends to church and just say, hey, come to church with me, you know? And then they just see it all for themselves. (laughs) Like, where are we right now? (laughs) What has just happened? Why do I hear somebody speaking in that language? Why is this going on? Why is this happening? Why is this person on their knees weeping for abortion right now? Like, what is going on in this this place? Well, that's fun. Keep doing that. I don't want to tell you how to invite your friends. You invite them however you want and then have a fun coffee talk afterward. But for my friends, because I knew they were theologians and and students of the Bible, I didn't want them to try to stand up in the middle of the service and rebuke us all or storm out and cause a scene. So I try to give them a little bit of prep. And you know what I would do is I would just take them to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And and let's just go there. Can we go there real quick? Can I give you a sermon before the sermon? I mean, you guys don't really have anywhere to go right now, right? Do you? I mean, we're just hanging out in church. It's the Lord's day. It belongs to him. Amen. I mean, nobody cares about football season or any of those things, right? Half kid. Okay. Amen. It's one of those seasons, right? Are we still playing baseball? Is baseball still happening? No. Is the Cubs or Sox still playing or are they done? They're done. Half of you don't care either. Maybe I should just look at one or two of you. Do you care about sports? Okay, he doesn't. Well, I was, looking at, I was looking at my other brother, Javier, but Daryl doesn't. He's like me. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 quickly. And it's okay to care about sports because we can care about hobbies and different things. We all have them, right? We all have them. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. This is what I would say to them. I would say, look, we're going to do this. Go to chapter uh, 14 and look at verse 26. I would say, brother, your church may not look like this, but our church does this. What shall we say, brothers and sisters? Uh, this is uh, chapter 14, verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. How many feel built up today? amen if anyone speaks in a tongue two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret now this is where people who don't like us speaking in tongues when we don't interpret they go see you're not supposed to speak in tongues if nobody interprets so they may go that far with us but read the rest of it if there's no interpreter the speaker should keep quiet in the what the church and speak to himself and to what God. So when it says quiet in the church, that means like what I'm doing right now. You're quiet in the church while I'm speaking. But that doesn't mean if I say right now, let's all pray to God, that doesn't mean you can't pray. But if I'm going to call upon you to speak to the church, you need to be able to pray in such a way that we can all understand. Or if you're going to give a message to the church, everybody needs to understand. Otherwise stay quiet and just pray between you and God. It doesn't say just stay quiet and then move on with your life. No, it says stay quiet in the church in that context. And then speak, everybody says speak. See how it says keep quiet and then another place it says speak in the same exact verse. See, some people want to say, well, if we don't have an interpretation, we're just going to stay quiet, because uh, then we can't speak in tongues. No, we're only going to be quiet in the context of giving a message. My tongue, I'm not speaking to you in tongues right now. How many know that? I'm speaking to you to a a non-supernatural language, and we're communicating. If I have a tongue, I am only supposed to speak it to you if there's an interpretation. Otherwise, I stay quiet with it, right? And then I speak it to God between me and God. Does everybody understand that? So that's why we do that. But notice how it says it right there. There's going to be songs that people are going to have in their heart that aren't on the list. There's going to be words or instructions that aren't in my sermon today that are going to be coming forth. And there's going to be supernatural language and interpretation. Can I hear an amen? If you just went through that about five minutes ago, that's what's up. And I just want to thank all of these leaders and all of these uh, just spiritual people that are participating and doing this, and including yourself, because I think you're a part of it. I, I just love our church. I don't ever want us to take that for granted because uh, when's the next time I'll be going through 1 Corinthians 14? I have no idea. You know, we're in John now, and that might be for a year or so, and then I just started Hebrews in the second service. So, you know, sometimes you gotta stop within what we're doing and have a family chat and just be like, man, you guys are doing awesome because that's what church is for us. Now, for those of you who are not deep thinkers and you just trust us, that's okay. We appreciate that. But just understand why we do that. Like, just understand why we do that. So if you were to take a, you know, like a time traveling machine and to go back 2,000 years, other than people holding a microphone and having materials like this, I think the church would be exactly the same as what you experience today. Honestly, I don't think there would be a pope. I know there wouldn't be a pope because there's no mention of them. There there would be no people in special clothes or candles or prayers to the saints. There'd be no cathedrals. What you would be doing is probably meeting in somebody's house or business. You would be gathering together, greeting each other, hanging out. Then there would be a time of singing songs. And then people in the congregation would have their songs and messages and supernatural things would happen. And then someone who would be in charge of that meeting, someone who would be responsible and accountable to that congregation, not just a one-man show, but someone responsible to that congregation and accountable would share a message from the Lord. And then they would end in prayer and singing of songs. Does that sound familiar? And I am, I'm telling you, I'm not making that up to make us match it. I'm not saying, like, everything I know we did and then just trying to pretend that was back there. No, I'm telling you, everything that I just said is back there. That's why we do it in this church. So you are a part of a special church. We're not the only one. Let's never think that. But we're a rare breed, even in this culture, to believe in Pentecostalism to the point, everybody watch this, that I trust you when I say, does anybody have a word? See, my friends are Pentecostal, and they believe that they get words. But, man, let your congregation share a word, and let's see how much you trust the Spirit of God. (laughs) Come on, somebody. I mean, I know a lot of Pentecostal ministers. They'll get up, shake, rattle, and row and say they have a word. But, man, they don't trust the Spirit of God with (laughs) y'all. Don't let anybody from there have a Spirit of God say they have the Spirit of God because they're going to come up and say some wacky stuff. I love taking the step of faith and say, hey, here we are. We're serving God. And you know what? If someone comes up with something wacky, like let's say someone came in this congregation and was from the Church of Latter-day Saints, and they do uh, sometimes visit churches underground, and they do uh, at times try to um, catfish people at crusades. This is not a, a slight towards them that I'm making up. This is actually true. You will see Mormons at times around Christian events handing out their materials as if they're a part of it. They're slick like that, and they'll also try to in, uh, invite you to their church not telling telling you what kind of church they are. Okay? Can I hear an amen? Okay. So let me just tell you. Let's say a Mormon came in here and said, "I want to give a revelation. I have a burning in my bosom." Let's say they tried to be so slick and try that here. That Joseph Smith is a prophet and that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. Now, let's say that happened. Let's say that happened. Would anybody here have to go run for the doors? No. We would say, "You false prophet, we're glad that you came today." Go get the pastor out the door and let's have a discussion with you, you know. Pastor, we, and of course I would hear it back there because I'm right next to you, you know, and it would be, Pastor, we have one. Like, in in other words, the false prophecy, the false prophecy wouldn't throw anybody off. We we would be like, well, you came to the right place today. We don't receive that, and we would tell the congregation, okay, we're going to take the microphone now. We don't receive that. But hey, if you want to talk about your false prophet, let us finish our service, and we'll meet you right here in an hour, and we'll put this thing online, and we'll let everybody see what we have to say. Now, you might say to yourself, oh, that's crazy. Well, a few years ago, you would have come to a Metro prayer service with four Mormons sitting on the stage. Anybody ever come to a service like that? Some go back that far with us? Yeah. Now, they didn't prophesy in our church, but I had met them earlier, and I said, why don't you come to our Sunday school meeting? And I invited them on the stage, and it first started off with two, but they had some of their friends there. And then after the two started getting rocked, they said to their friends, Psst, come on up here and help me, man. And then there was four of them and just me sitting up there, and that was church for us that day. Well, we went on to do other things, but that was how it started. Can I hear an amen? So it's not like let me just say this. I learned this from Pastor Ron Allen in Fort Wayne Indiana. It's not that it's not that misuse or abuse should lead us to not using something or disuse. Can I hear an amen? Come on, think about this, misuse. Somebody's just misusing the gifts. They're not necessarily abusing it, they're just misusing it. Our response to misuse isn't, well, disuse, let's let's stop using it. I don't have any concern for this stuff anymore. No, 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 that's not what we do. Now let's say somebody abuses it. Let's say there's churches where everybody has a word and they're corny. I was looking at a live feed the other day and, uh, or a show the other day on YouTube and the person was reacting to a, a Pentecostal leader that was teaching people how to cast out demons and they had their own like cards of what to say when you cast out a demon. I thought the Bible kind of made it clear, in Jesus' name, go. Uh, But there had to be, I guess, some kind of a dialogue with them and the demon. And so this is where it even got cornier. That's because maybe you want to do that. I get it. You want to train each other up. That's okay. But then here's the thing that was a little bit weird is they started doing it on each other. Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. What is your name, you foul spirit? And they're like Christians looking at each other. And, and the, the pastor or the leader that was doing this was like hype. He's like, man, look at what we're doing. We're raising up everybody and how to do this. And it's just corny, okay? So listen, if people misuse the gifts, if people abuse the gifts, because that's to me now, you're just abusing it now. You're you're taking it like it's a carnival game, okay? You will cast out spirits quite effectively if you can just get this down in the name of Jesus. If you can get that down, you're good. You don't need to have a conversation with the spirit like you're in poltergeist, okay? You don't need to ask where it's gone or where it's come from, you know, what its name is and all the friends. I used to do that, and I, and I understand it can provide a show for the people, but it does scare the ninos and ninas. I will tell you that. It does scare the children when you start talking to these things. I just got fed up with them over a while. Now I just cast them out in Jesus' name because, I, like I said, I've been around for a while. So just because somebody misuses something or abuses something, that doesn't mean we stop using something. We just use it properly, amen? So our, our intention is in this church that what you're experiencing every week is like this. And so if you have a word, if you have a song, if you have something in your heart, we want you to share it during that time. Because we believe God speaks in and through you. We believe that God has a purpose and a plan for your life and that it's going to impact other people. And I would be uh, not only prideful, but I would be naive to think that just only a certain people have that. When you read the Bible, like the 120 in the upper room, God gave it to all of them. Now, this is where, and I'll say this in closing as I get ready to preach out of John, this is where I would say we as elders and and leaders and those who have been around for a while have a job, it's right here, verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. Now, that's where I have a gift. Why? Because I have been weighing what the word of the Lord has been saying on the scale for a while. And how many know this is deep? Somebody go deep. This is deep right here. There's no depth to the knowledge of the word of God. So if I hear you or another pastor or leader, and, you know, First Timothy, just put in a new tab for him, please. First Timothy chapter 3, we appoint elders and deacons from the congregation, and these are the ones who should weigh carefully what is being said. And, and actually, we all should be doing that, okay? But you should trust your church that the overseers or elders, that they are doing a task. Task, that they're making sure they hear those words because I've read the Bible a time or two, amen, in Jesus' name. I've read it a time or two. I've, I've forgotten a lot of it at times, too. I remember my professor used to say to me in rebuke, because I kind of was a know-it-all, he would say, brother, I've forgotten more than you know about the Bible. And that was true, amen? And I can definitely, but here's the sad part about this, I can say that, too, to a lot of people, because old people be forgetting stuff. So, yeah, I, I forgot a lot of this stuff, too, but I'm, by God's grace, always refreshing and remembering. Um, sometimes people will put up a quote by me, and I'll be like, where did they get that quote? And it's like, oh, from my book I wrote. And I know it sounds funny, but it's actually true. Sometimes I read through my devotionals, and I'm like, hmm, that is good. I'm like, man, because I forgot I wrote those things, you know, and God gives you abilities to do that. Okay, so here's our gift as a church to you to to, uh, make a space with grace for us all to grow so that we don't take for granted when we come together. Amen? We're not the frozen chosen here. We're alive in the spirit of God. God is moving and God is speaking. If you're ready for John, can I hear an amen again? Amen? You're there. Let's go. John chapter 11. We're going through the book of John verse by verse, first service, Hebrew second service. Hope that you're getting those on the podcast if you miss any online as well. We talked last week about the beginning parts of this sign. Lazarus is dead. Jesus is coming late. Martha is basically saying, if you were here, you could have done something. Jesus then gives this wonderful revelation about who he is. He says that he is the resurrection and the life. Look at it in verse 25. This is where we left off last week. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then Martha, she responds back in verse 27, yes. Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is come into the world. And what we did last week was we spent a lot of time understanding why Jesus could say those words, I am the resurrection and the life. Just to review so we can set the context here, every one of the seven major signs in the book of John is there to give us a principle about the identity of Jesus. This is the last and greatest sign, and the principle is he is the resurrection and the life. As you look through the scriptures in Daniel, there was a prophecy that there would be a resurrection resurrection at the end of days. Jesus is that resurrection. He is that one coming from the ancient of days, one like the Son of Man who receives worship. Remember that. This one is worship. Not only that is he the resurrection, but he is life itself. Of course, I misquoted a a verse last week, and I'm ready to give it to you correctly this week. Amen? In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen? Praise God, I'm back on track. Last week, I forgot that and butchered it really bad, and I was so embarrassed. I went back and listened to it, and I was like, that was totally my fault. What is wrong with me? But then I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's just another reason for you to pray for me. Amen. Just another reminder. So when we look at Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection, he's the one coming, bringing this event, he's not just that one, he's also life itself. This right here is probably one of the biggest concepts of philosophy, and you could spend your whole life learning about life, biological life and spiritual life. Jesus hits on both of them. Notice this here. He says, the one who believes in me will live even though they what? die. So they will die physically, but by believing in Jesus, they will still live. And then whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What kind of death will the believer never experience? Spiritual death. Please put it up in the, the scriptures, Ephesians 2, 1. Once we are a Christian and now we are alive, we will not ever become dead in sins when we remain in Christ. Christ will keep us from going back to this state. Now, do I believe that we can choose to leave Christ? I believe that is a choice we can make, but he will never leave us. And so Judas left Jesus. Saul in the Bible, King Saul, left Jesus. I can show you what's called a backslider and there's debate on that and you guys have heard me discuss this before but as it pertains to Jesus and what he will do no one will snatch us out of his hands nothing will separate us from his love and this life can never die you don't have to worry about bad karma you don't have to worry about your past mistakes you don't have to worry about the judgment scales of Allah and what Islam teaches you don't have to worry about anything once you come to Christ as it pertains to life because we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but now we have been made alive. Verse four, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Okay, so please go back to the passage there. He is the resurrection and the life. He is physical life. He is spiritual life. Whenever you talk to someone, that believes that science has all the answers, all you have to do is ask them, where does science come from? Where does the ability for us to do science come from? You have to have life to study life, amen? You have to have a mind to do the logic of science. So where do minds come from? Where do laws of logic come from? And what the Bible is teaching us is that Jesus is that life. And when you look at the scientific revolution, the scientists of that time, Kepler, Bacon, and Newton, all these others, uh, summarized what they were doing in the natural world as thinking the thoughts of God after him. In other words, they were following the footprints in the sand. God had already laid down the laws of logic. God had already laid down that which would be in orderly fashion, and they were following in his footsteps, basically discovering the mind of God, understanding how God thinks. And so this conversation about Jesus being the resurrection and the life ought to captivate your heart, that you should have trust in Jesus today in your biological life. That whatever you're facing on this earth, that Jesus will be with you, that Jesus will help you, and that Jesus has it under control. We talked a little bit about sickness and disease and why bad things happen to good people because Jesus purposely came late from Lazarus to go from sick to dead. And he said, I allowed this to happen for my glory, the Father's glory and my glory. And I'm going to hit on that in just a little bit because today's message is Jesus wept. Everybody say Jesus wept. Thank you. Last week was him being the resurrection and the life. And now we're going to talk about why does he weep in this situation that he already has said, I'm going to raise him from the dead. So, hey, guys, let me just speak plainly to you. I'm running late because I actually want him to die, and I'm glad that he's going to die because this will be for God's glory, and you all will see how powerful that I am and that I'm the resurrection of life. In summary, that's what he says. Well, if that's true and Jesus has said all of that, which he has said, why do we see him weeping? What we will see, I believe, in the tears of Jesus is the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. Already Jesus is all of these things, but it has not yet come to everyone. And so a part of our life is that struggle of the already and the not yet. Is Jesus already King of kings and Lord of lords? But does Joe Biden act like it today? President Biden or Trump or any of these world leaders? No, they don't act like it. So it's not yet, not yet, right? But isn't he already So now you see the tension, the already and the not yet. How many of you believe as we were singing that song before that he's raised you up, seated you in heavenly places, that you're already redeemed uh, the temple of God? How many believe that? But how many in the last week lived without any sin or mistake or in their marriage, it was all roses and sunshine, right? Or on your job, you always responded the correct way. Not yet. Some of you might have, and it's possible in some ways to live like that, and I believe that's the the goal of every Christian is to live without sin. But I don't always live without sin. Not yet. But aren't I already perfect in Christ? Aren't I already the righteousness of God? Aren't I already holy as my heavenly father, perfect as he's perfect and holy as he's holy? But do I always live like it? Yeah, not yet, not always. And so what you're going to see is this tension that Jesus is purposely building for us. Now, he says, it's good that I'm not there so you all can see this miracle. And sometimes we then feel sorry for Lazarus. Well, what about Lazarus? Maybe it wasn't good for him. Maybe he didn't want to die. But here's the thing. If you had a choice to die and remain dead or die and be raised for God's glory, which one would you pick? To die and be raised for God's glory. That sounds fun. So I think, you know, it's still even kind to Lazarus to give him the chance to be a part of a miracle. Now, I know that sounds flippant because then when we talk about the suffering of our brothers and sisters and moms and dads and family, we might say, well, we haven't seen them raised yet. We've only seen them die. But what if I was to tell you that everyone's life Wasn't already and not yet. What if I was to tell you that everyone's life can end good with Christ raising them from the dead to never die again? What if I told you that the story of everyone's life ends with them shouting and jumping and being free? You see, this is what Jesus is teaching us, and this is why, if you've been to a Christian funeral, you've probably heard this scripture. As we're burying somebody, the pastor or the one leading the funeral will say, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, why does that bring us hope in the middle of all of this tragedy and sadness? Because we know that God's going to right every wrong. It's already been settled, but we haven't yet seen it. The body's still there. The sorrow still there in that moment. And I believe when we get to Jesus weeping, he shows us that he identifies with our pain. That we're not just in God's aquarium or terrarium. We're not just God's pets. That God is actually personally grieved by what we experience. That this wasn't God's best intention. When you go to the Garden of Eden and he gave us the choice, which choice do you think he wanted us to do? To have life or to have death? What do you think God wanted? He wanted us to have life. But what did we do? We chose death. We chose that which was spiritual death, and because spiritual death came first, then natural death followed, right? Because in the day they ate of it, their body didn't surely die, but their spiritual connection did, as we learned in Ephesians 2 died, and because they were separated from the Wi-Fi of heaven, they were no longer plugged into the glory of God, they eventually died physically. But what does Jesus show us in coming to earth? He shows us, I want to restore that which has been lost. Jesus wants to raise that which is dead. So he's going to use Lazarus as an example of how he can make every wrong right. What would we say is the worst possible thing that can happen to us right now? We could die. Right, like in the natural, what's the worst thing that could happen to all of us right now? We die. Now, some people might say being tortured. Yeah, but then at some point, if you're not being tortured anymore, you can get up and live, right? You might live with a limp, but you you get up and live. But the absolute worst thing is that you what? Die. So what is Jesus showing us? The very worst possible thing that you can imagine he can overcome. And not only will he do that for others... He will do that for, not only will he do that for the believer, he's actually going to do it even for the unbeliever. Not that they'll raise for everlasting life, but the Bible says they'll raise for everlasting condemnation. Notice this, that he now controls what happens after you die, even if you're a sinner. Sometimes we think to ourselves, well, Jesus, he's just the king over all of the Christians. And then the devil, he's a king over all of the sinners. And that may be true to an extent, like how we look at the two kingdoms upon the earth. There's a kingdom where Satan is in charge, and, there's, and that's a kingdom of darkness, and then there's the kingdom of God. But in all reality, Jesus is the king of kings. Jesus is the king over the devil. In other words, Jesus can do with the devil whatever he wants. And so if he chooses for the devil to be sent to everlasting destruction, he can do that. If he chooses for those who deny him to get a resurrected body, but not to everlasting life, but to shame, he can do that. Go to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 3, just to bring up the bad news so we can go back to the good news. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I don't want to be accused of just being surface level here by only bringing up the good news. I believe Jesus not only weeps for those of us who physically die and know that that they're going to be raised like Lazarus, but I believe he actually weeps as he did for Jerusalem for those who die spiritually and he knows will perish. Now, this does not mean that you're always going to see Jesus weeping for you. By the time of judgment, he'll no longer weep. Brothers, go back to the notes, please. It's Daniel uh, chapter 12, thank you, verses 1 and 3. Just had to catch up for myself. You guys are doing great. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, this is the end times, such as not happened from the beginning of the nations until then, so I believe we're approaching this. This would be the time of the Antichrist and so forth, but at that time, your People, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Now, this is Old Testament terminology, but it's applying now to Jesus in the book of John. Some to everlasting what? Life. Some to everlasting what? Life. Life. Others to what? Shame and everlasting contempt. So, everybody gets up from the dust of the earth. Ashes to ashes, what? Dust to dust. From dust we came to dust we go, but did you know you go back framed into dust? You will get a dust body again, and this time it will be an everlasting dust body, and I believe it will be personally generated by the glory of God. But the sinner will have something else working in them, the judgment of God, and that will be upon their actual body. As they suffer for all of eternity. Now, going back to John to the good news, he wants us to be on the right side of the resurrection. Jesus is showing us through Lazarus that he cares, okay? So that's, let's be like Martha and confess who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, the Holy One chosen of God to bring us salvation. That's all packed in the word Messiah or Christ. Mashiach or Messiah comes from Hebrew, Christ, Christo from Greek, the Son of God who is coming to the world. Verse 28, after she, Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. Now, what does she do with Mary? She said, the teacher is here. And is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews had noticed, or, or had, who had been with Mary in the house, confronting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to go to the tomb to mourn there. And this was this kind of my observation. Why wasn't Mary there to begin with? Maybe she was having a pity patty party, so Martha has to go back and get Mary. Just something to think about in the narrative. Verse 32, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many know that's true? How many know every single one of us could say that at any funeral? Jesus, if you would have done something, Grandma wouldn't have died. Come on. How many know we could go to every, uh, you know, situation in life, every bad neighborhood, every corrupt politician, and say, God, if you would have done something, this wouldn't have happened. What is God teaching us here? The already and the not yet. He's teaching us that not everything is going to go the way that you think it should go. And in actuality, it's not going to go the way that he first planned it to go. Now, God's redemption is not an accident or an afterthought. The Bible says Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. As we talked about in one of the services that I've been in in the last few weeks, that Jesus is and was and will be. Was that in this service or another service? Okay, I think it was in another service for all the blank stares. Who was and is and is forever will be. Who is to come? How many have heard that before in the Bible? Okay, so you've heard that before. Now guess what? For us, we experience time in three phases. Past, present, and future. How does God do it? All at once. He's always in the past. He's always in the present. He's always in the future. He never learns and he never moves. He's there. He always knows. Always in the past. That's so deep. Well, in God's mind, there is no difference. See, we experience time as corridors, as going through doors, you know. I just left the door of the past. Now I'm in the present, and I'm going into the future. That's how every moment is moving in our life. Can you get the picture if I was doing a YouTube video? I'm leaving the door of the past. I'm now in the room of the present, opening the door into the future. Can you see it? God's just in the room of all three at one time, transcending it, okay? Now this doesn't mean that anything goes, that God just says, well, whatever will be, will be. No, he's planned it all for his glory. Now, at this point, what's the rational question that comes next? Well, what about the bad stuff? That's what we're learning in the resurrection narrative of Lazarus. We're learning that even the bad stuff works for God's glory. Now, at this point, you're going to have a fork in the road. You're either going to say that bad stuff happens and it has no purpose, or you're going to say that there is a purpose in the pain. Because if we believe in God, and how many believe in God here, all of our beliefs now meet at this fork in the road. The God who created us allowed there to be evil. How many know you exist? Okay, let's just cover the basics, okay? Just in case somebody says, like, dude, I don't even think I exist, man. Well, then who's talking to me? (laughs) Right? So we're all here in this place of existence, and we believe God created us. And now just the last question, how many believe bad things happen, even to good people? Okay. Now we're at that fork in the road. Evil has a purpose or or rather e- evil is meaningless or evil has a purpose. If he's a good god, evil has a purpose. And this is now where we go through all of our scriptures. And as I liked what one Jewish theologian said uh, to the modern day church, you know, because uh, it's Michael Brown and he's a, a Jewish believer in Christ. He said, all of you modern day, you know, yoga pants wearing latte, drinking, you know, Christians who want to take up a problem with God. Go back to the Hebrew Bible. Job's already given the complaint to God. You know, just take Job's letter and write your name at the bottom and put it in the, the suggestion box. The Jewish people have already gone through this. They've already thought through it. You're not the first one. They were slaves in Egypt saying, yay, we're God's chosen people. You know, and I don't make light of it, but think about it. We're God's chosen people as they're getting treated as what? A Hebrew slave. They've already thought through it. They've already been there. Children dying, being taken from them as mothers gave birth. Get that one. Kill it. They've been there multiple times, as the same theologian said. Here's the basis of every Jewish holiday. They tried to kill us. God delivered us. Now let's eat, drink, and be happy. <laughs> That's how the festivals are done. Passover, they're trying to kill us. God's going to pass over and get, it, get at them. And then the next thing, the next thing, right? They celebrate living in tents, right? They celebrate all of these festivals that are based on God's deliverance because why? People wanted to kill them. So that's already been dealt with. But it's not a bad question. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't want you to feel immature or silly. It's, it's a great question. It's the question that plagues all of us because we have this thing called a knower, and we know bad, and we know good. But notice in our Bible, it explains to us where that knower, that knowledge of good and evil came from. It was our choice and rebellion to learn it this way. We could have understood the things of God without the experience of actual evil. God knew good from evil before we had sinned and gotten into it. We could have learned it like him. God knows what it's like in the concept of likeness to a crack addict. But God has never been a crack addict. Can I hear an amen? We could have learned in concept and in knowledge what evil was like, like how God knows evil. But we decided to eat of a fruit, to not know it in concept, but to know it in experience. And so now because of that is evil without a purpose. No, evil has a purpose. Bad has a purpose. Pain has a purpose. And what is that purpose? To bring us to our knees and cry out to God for help, for redemption, for life. To say, I wish it wasn't this way. So every time I talk to somebody who has great pains of how they suffer in life and I say to them, all things will work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose, and they say back to me flippantly, well, it doesn't feel like it's good. It doesn't feel like it's working in my behalf. It doesn't feel like this is something that I can make it through because, you know, the scripture says he'll never allow you to go through something that you can't see a way of escape or you can't handle. How many know that scripture? Right? Right? Well, it doesn't feel like it. And all of these feelings and emotions come up. You know what I say back to them? With all of your feelings, go to your knees and surrender now to God. Because he knows what it's like to feel that way. You ever heard of Jesus' three-day vacation to uh, Boca Raton? (laughs) Did you ever hear of Jesus' vacation to Puerto Vallarta? No, how about this? Have you heard of Jesus' crucifixion? Yeah, Jesus' bad weekend is not a trip to Puerto Vallarta and just not having his luggage come. Jesus' weekend is being tortured and beaten and being rejected by every person that loved him, except for a few, and then being hung on a cross like my father would skin alive rabbits. He was hung on a cross like an animal, stripped naked of all dignity. And if that wasn't enough in human suffering, the Father places upon him every sin we've ever sinned. And so now, what we would have learned only in concept, we now learn in the pain of sin. He now knows in that way, not with the sin, but he now knows in the actual pain of a crack addict on the cross. He now knows in the pain of what abuse is. He now knows in the pain Not that he commits it, but now he feels the sufferings, Isaiah 53 says, that we have caused because of our sin. Who has suffered the most because of Adam and Eve's sin? God, Jesus, the Son. And so Jesus is not taking this lightly. And so in our distress, in our pain, it's okay to ask God the question, why weren't you here? Or if you were here, God, you could have done something. But we then need to hear the answer. And what is The first answer that Jesus gives to this woman, he sees her weeping. The Jews had come alongside, were also weeping. Deeply moved in spirit and troubled, Jesus says, where have you laid him? The first thing that we see is that Jesus wants you to know he's going to check into where you're at and that he's going to care for you. He is going to ask the questions that let you know he cares. And I know for many of you who have gone through tragedy, You may have heard God speak to you like this. You've lost your grandmother. You've lost somebody you love. And Jesus may speak to you and say, Well, where is your grandmother? Where is she? And if she's trusted in Christ, you're supposed to say, She's in heaven. She's not just a body, she's a soul, and she's in heaven. You're supposed to look at your jobs or your careers or the heartbreaks and disappointments, and God is speaking through these questions. You're supposed to hear in the question that he cares, and he wants you to stop and think about what he's going to do. Where is that place that fired you? Who is that person that's left you and hurt you? And you can see that what he's pointing to is something that's going to happen in the midst of all of that, something that's greater, something that's better. Come see, Lord. Come see. And then what's the second thing that he does? After he checks in and says, I understand. I want to know how you're feeling, and I will ask questions to show you that I care. What's the next thing that he does? Jesus wept. He emotionally bears our burdens. Now, if you know the story, as we said from the very beginning, he already knows the end. He's going to raise her from, uh, raise him from the, bed, the dead. Why doesn't he just say to her, Hey, it's going to be a party. Hey, wipe away your, your tears, little baby girl. It's going to be all right. Tell these Jewish people, tell them to go, go out, get out the good stuff. We're going to have a party. We're going to eat, drink, and be happy. Why doesn't he do that? Because he's teaching us through the care and concern of those questions that he emotionally relates to us. Do you know that I've seen in atheist debates with non-believers them mock Christians and say, why do Christians cry at funerals? Well, first of all, you haven't been to every funeral because I've been to some where they praise, jump, and shout the whole time. Amen. But they say, well, still, even after that, why do they still cry if they're going to go to heaven? Don't you all believe it? See, the fact that you cry at your own Christian mother's funeral shows that you really don't believe she's in a better place because you're just like us. You feel hopeless. Well, then let's go back to this story. The one in this story, the hero, the very one who said, I purposely came late that the man could die, that I could raise him from the dead so that you all can see my father's glory and my glory. Why is he crying then? Because the already and the not yet. Yeah, we know we're going to see him in heaven, but it hurts now. And it's okay to know things in the now. I know I'm going to heaven at some point, but right now it hurts. Life hurts. People hurt. How many of you have been hurt by people? You know, it hurts. How many have been hurt by people you love because they left you before you wanted them to leave? I know it doesn't seem like we want to say it that way, but everybody we love is going to hurt us in some way or another. Well, stay with us longer. I'm not ready to lose you yet, Mom. But did she really have a choice? No, but she still hurt us in that way, didn't she? By her leaving, but it wasn't her choice. You see, David said it like this, even though my mother and father forsake me, You'll never forsake me. And I remember my father teaching me this when his father died. And he said, I always wondered, what does that mean? My mother and father will never forsake me. I have a great mom and dad. They're never going to forsake me. Like, how would that even apply to me? But when he's there at his father's funeral and his mother's funeral, he's now forsaken. Of course, they didn't have a choice. You get my point. But the psalmist is right. Even though my mom and dad, in another way you could say, leave me. God, you'll never leave me. Jesus is weeping because he knows what it's like to live in the shadow land. He knows what it's like for us to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Every time I preach a sermon, if the Lord brings it to my heart, I I show them that the casket casts a shadow, and we must live on in this shadow. And not only must we live on because my mother died or grandmother or somebody I love died, but I have to live in the shadow of those you love. And then when you do the statistics, everybody's loved ones are dying every day. How dare we laugh today? Don't you know somebody's grandma died? Everybody gets sad. If that's the way we thought, then no one, none of us would ever laugh. Don't be happy a newborn baby just got born. Someone in the next door hospital uh, in the down, down the hall just died. How dare you now celebrate the first smile of your baby, the first sound of a child? See, we're always living in that tension, aren't we? We're living with the knowledge of good and evil, good and evil, the already and the not yet, the already and the not yet. And so when we go to funerals, like Jesus, we feel the pain because for this temporary time, we'll be separated from them. We feel the pain when we lose a job, even though we know that we can go find another one. We we weep when our friends betray us, even though we might have 10 other friends that love us. Why? Because we feel the tension of the good and the evil and the already and the not yet. And what Jesus is doing in this moment, and I want everyone to get this, what Jesus is doing in this moment is weeping with you through every painful experience of life. He's not going to make a Bible the life story of every single one of us and weep with us to prove it to us. You're supposed to take it by faith, amen? And then Jesus went with Joe to fifth grade, and Joe got teased, and Jesus wept. Now, chapter five thousand and forty-eight, he went with Jose to Nini's deli, and there at Nini's deli, when Juan's friends and customers betrayed him, Jesus wept. How many can take verse thirty-five in its context and apply it to every situation we ever face, and know that Jesus weeps, Jesus hurts. Even though he sees the next thing that's coming in Juan's life, it's going to be amazing. Even though he sees what Joe's going to become after fifth grade, it's going to be powerful. Even though he sees the person you're going to fall in love with after that heartbreak, yes, that is true. The future is there, and God knows it better than everybody else. But he's also the God of now. He's also the God of the moment. And so we ought to take comfort that he weeps with us. And that all pain has a purpose. And as I said, even if the only purpose you can see in that pain is to go to your knees and say, I need you, God. Then it showed you that life is but a breath. And the glories of man are nothing but like flowers in a field that are here today and gone tomorrow. As C.S. Lewis said, it's hard to hear God's voice in pleasure, but we hear it so often in our pain. Now, I don't want us to be sadistic and want pain throughout life, but if you're in pain and you're hurting today, take a moment to hear the questions of Jesus pricking your heart. To have you to think about things that are greater than what you're going through. Have the the whispers of Jesus show you the weeping and the brokenness that he's there with you. And then have Jesus bring you to the cross. Because they don't yet have the cross. We now can look to the cross and there he says, it is what? Finished. And now I can say, I believe. I believe that I will raise like Lazarus. I believe my purposes and plans will come to pass. Even through the hardest times of my life, I can see God in his glory doing something great. As a matter of fact, I uh, have given myself mental challenges. You ever uh, take long showers and think deeply about life? (laughs) Sometimes my wife is like, what are you doing in there? Nothing naughty, just thinking deep. Just philosophical questions are running through my mind as the hot water is running down my body. I have challenged myself to think through every possible evil and to then see if I can turn it for God's good, even with the limited knowledge that I have. Now, let me first and foremost show you that I don't need to do this because I can have trust that God can do this. Imagine if at the end of our lives... All the broken pieces are put together in heaven's mosaic. Heaven takes all the broken pieces of our lives and puts it in a mosaic. And imagine you standing from the side where all you see is every hurt and pain of this world. We could all agree that that was hard, it was painful, and it was confusing. Now imagine if God says, now come to the other side and see a beautiful portrait that I've made out of these broken pieces. I'm hearing an idea for an artist. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Maybe take news clippings of all the bad things in life and then have the other side show something beautiful, right? So I don't have to even be able to win the game to still have faith to know he can win the game because he's a little bit smarter than me. Amen? He sees it a lot better than I do. But I challenged myself in one of these long, hot showers, could I do it? So I thought of the, the most, like, just pointless ones, you know, children dying in the womb. Uh, A lot of them had to do with children, children's sicknesses and disease. What good could possibly come out of that? You know, how do you say, uh, you know, how does the preacher now say to that little baby, it's going to be your year. You thought you went through something bad in 2021, but 2022 is going to be your year. It's kind of a little Darth Vader here, but the child's breathing on a breathing machine. And then the child passes. Not to take it lightly, but I want illustrations in your mind. It's going to be your year, incubated child. I've had to bury children in this church that were in incubation. It's going to be your year. See, no, 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 no. That don't work here. That works at the conference for nine ninety nine or ninety nine ninety nine with your special seating. That works at the. That don't work at the Bible. Does it in real life? Bible teaches you're going to go through times like that, and I hope you don't. But if you do, there's still an answer for that. So I began to ask myself, what do you do for the glory of God in that situation? Number one, I look to the parents and say, did it bring them closer to God? Did it show them that even children, that which brings the most joy is fleeting? You ever see people get high off children, new babies? Oh, I just love the new baby smell. Getting high off that baby. Oh, I just love that baby. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What is God showing us as a baby goes back to dust? Ain't no high like the most high. You can't put your hope in life even in the most precious creation that God has ever blessed us with. That precious baby is still made of dust. And then I thought about that baby. You know, we only see it on this side. But what about that baby as they go into the arms of Jesus? I believe Jesus takes every suffering child into his arms, into the kingdom of God. For on earth, Jesus said, does not the kingdom belong to them? So challenge yourself. Uh, If you find yourself in a dark place and there's no solutions to your problems, come call me up. We'll try to help you. And then we'll turn back to Jesus and say, well, maybe you stumped me. But I haven't been stumped yet. Genocide, all of these things. What does it show us? Don't put somebody in charge that doesn't know what they're doing. We're supposed to learn as humanity from past mistakes of the generations. If we don't, we'll repeat them, right? So I've gone through in these moments of deep meditation what possibly could ever come against us in this world that God couldn't turn for his good. And every single time I come out of it going, oh, wow, God could do that. Yeah. What came out of slavery in America? Not only the emancipation of the African-American here, but all over the world, because people fought a civil war here, slavery was stopped over the world. Do you see slave markets today in the Western world or in the most of the world today? No. And sadly, it still exists in certain parts of Africa and the Middle East. But what it showed is we're going to rid the world from generational sin. What did great poverty show us and famines? Ethiopia, you think of that place, right? Have you ever been to Minneapolis, seen the Ethiopian population? It showed us that dictators stink, don't follow them. And go to a country that cares about you and do something good, even though it's not perfect, right? So I've met Ethiopians who love now the possibilities and hope that they have. I mean, I could be here all day. You can try it, but I guarantee you this. This is what you always see, the heart of Jesus weeping and an answer that says, trust him. Because look at what it says in verse 36. The Jews then said, see how much he loved him. Know today how much Jesus loves you. No matter what pain and suffering you have gone through, your culture has gone through, no matter what we have faced as a human race... God loves us. Amen? He has a plan for us. But then some of them mocked and said, could, he not, uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Now notice their question comes with more mockery. You can ask true questions or you can mock. Don't be in the seat of the mocker, the Bible says. God doesn't owe you a thing. Amen? Amen? Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And where is my organist up here? He said, take away the stone. <laughs> Can I just have fun for a moment? Can I just pretend I'm back in knowledge, y'all, bringing that heat, bringing that fire, yeah, yeah. Move away that stone. Take away the stone, he said. Yeah. But Lord. Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. As the King James says, he stinketh, Lord. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Hallelujah. That's what he says to us. He says, Through all of our life's tragedies, did I not tell you you would see the glory of God? After our martyrs are killed on those dirty streets or in those, those places of torment and, and torture in prison, the next thing that they see is the glory of God. And Jesus looks at them and said, Didn't I tell your boys and girls you would be up here with me? Didn't he, didn't I tell you you were gonna make it out? You out right now, and you on the shouting side, you're coming back with me on a white horse, and if they don't Repent, we're gonna stomp on him in, in my name. Come on. The Bible says we will trample on the enemies of God. Oh hallelujah he said didn't I tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God and I'm serious can I get somebody up here please because I feel the preacher coming out so they took away the stone then Jesus looked up and said Father I thank you that you have heard me I know that you always hear me but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe hallelujah that they may believe that you said and me <laughs> Woo! Come on somebody Jesus didn't have to go to praying out loud. He could have just went like this, but he had to start praying out loud so that we could know it wasn't an accident. Sometimes they say that they put them to, to, the, to the tomb too early, that they really weren't dead. Oh, they didn't know much about medicine. They were dumb back then. But Jesus had to say, this ain't no just ordinary resuscitation. This is a resurrection, and there's a life lesson coming out of this. They're going to pass it on and they're going to pass it on into some Polish Italian in the South who's now in the Midwest is going to preach it. This is happening in our lives right now so that we would believe. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice Lazarus, come out. Look at your neighbor and say, Get out that grave. Come on, Lazarus get out. I know I give allegorical preachers a hard time, but if you can't preach there's something wrong with you. You better know how to preach Lazarus getting out the grave. Tell your neighbor, touch three people, shout at them and say, Lazarus! <laughs> Come out. I'm speaking right now to the high schools. Come out in Jesus' name. I'm speaking to college campuses. Come out and raise up. I'm speaking to governments. Come out in the name of Jesus. I'm speaking to nations. Come out. Hallelujah. Woo! Would you stand to your feet? Give God a hand clap of praise and a shout of victory. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Some say discipleship. See, because after the high school here's the gospel message, we need to disciple them. After somebody's been raised up from their spiritual death, we have to now teach them how to live. We have to show them that there's a purpose now for the rest of their journey. Jesus said to them, "Get off all them grave clothes and let him go." In the King James, it said, "Loose him and let him go." In the King James, it says, "Loose him and let him go." Look at your neighbor and say, "Loose him and let him go." Y'all half Presbyterian, half Pentecostal this white boy think he can preach. I've been preaching for a long time in Jesus' name like this. I, I'm happy I get to preach like this, no matter the color of my skin. But I will be honest with you. When I first got saved, I thought the white teachers like Joel Osteen were too boring. I had to turn on the TD Jakes. I had to turn on the Rod Parsley's and get to preaching. Amen. And then I met some Latino preachers like Sergio Scatolini and Carlos Anaconda. Fuego, 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 en el nombre Jesus. Sometimes you just got to yell at the devil. Amen. Loose him and let him go. Sometimes you just got to look at somebody that you love that's bound up and say, I loose you in the name of Jesus. You got to speak to that which is binding them up and say, be free in the name of Jesus. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Come on up here, drummer. Come on, there is power. There is power, wonder-working power. Amen. Brother, will you go back to one of your old churches and give me a temporary keyboardist to train this brother? Because I need to bring them out here. You know when them keyboardists I'm talking about. Can you find one for me? Come on. Somebody say there's power. Come on, power! In the blood, band and altar workers, would you come? There is power. Precious, one more time. Would you say it? There is power, wonder-working power in the of the Lamb. In the name of Jesus, there is power. Blood of God. Amen. I'm self-aware that I may look goofy to the world, but I don't care. There are sometimes I can only express it in these ways you got to get to the point where you believe. I've got to get to the point where I believe. Every one of us, where we believe our pain has a purpose. Did I not give it to you philosophically? Did you have to go deep with me today? Amen. Hey man, you didn't go into the shower with me, but I brought the shower out, didn't I? But let me ask you something. Does that change your life, just going deep? No matter how smart I've gotten over the years, no matter how cool I've gotten to know the names of these philosophers and to quote them, I still believe that Jesus says, come out! Hallelujah. He says to Lazarus, come out. I'm so thankful he still does that. Before I ever went to Bible college, before I ever read the Bible two and three times, I heard him calling me out. Before I understood all the books that I even wrote in the back, I heard him saying to a church, loose Joe and let him go. I remember showing up to a church after I first got saved, earrings and cursing and smell like smoke you know and I remember godly men and women coming to me saying can I teach you some of the things about God I know some people have done it wrong you know oh this church they judge everybody well no somebody got to get in your business and love you but if they do it wrong I apologize on behalf of them amen but I had good people somebody say good people I had good people say hey man you don't want to cuss anymore you want to learn how to be free from cussing Loose them and let them go. My friend sat down with me at a restaurant that I worked at. And he was in Bible college and I was a new Christian. And it didn't even cross my mind not to smoke in front of him. That's how new I was. So I lit up a cigarette. This is where you could smoke in restaurants. And I'm like, man, God's been so good. Man, I'll just tell you what, man. I came to Jesus the other day, man. He changed my life, man. Putting it in the ashtray. And my friend loved me enough. He said, Joe... You've been out the grave. Amen. But do you want to be loosed? I see some grave clothes on you. I know you're alive on the inside, but I see some grave clothes on you. Do you want to be loosed so you can get free, so that you can dance, so you can breathe without coughing all the time? This ain't a smoker's voice. This is a preacher's voice. (laughs) I just want to tell you today, it's not only good preaching, it works. It works. When you believe that Jesus rises the dead and gives them new life, that works today because we're in that tension of the already and not yet. I know we may not see every miracle, but I'm going to keep believing because I don't know which ones I'm going to see. Jesus had other people die. He didn't raise. The disciples eventually and Some of them got raised to only die again. Lazarus died again, Okay. This is not the final resurrection. So even if we see a thousand miracles, there's going to be the thousand and one time where we don't get it and we got to go. So it's not always going to work out the way you want. What are you going to do? What am I going to do in that moment? In that moment, I might have seen a thousand miracles, but what am I going to do this time when I got to walk away? When I got to leave it alone? I'm trusting God to do what only he can do. And if if it's not in this lifetime, it's in the age to come. As I said before, my, my aunt died of bone cancer. And the whole time she's there, she's a woman of faith. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm healed. I was even sitting in the room with her as she's pushing the morphine button. Her mouth is all dry, man, because she's just so high on those drugs. She, you know, and she just keeps hitting it. And then she asked the nurse, why is it not working? And they say, it is working. You just got as much as you can take. She's in the hospice. Are you listening to me? But she said it over and over again. I'm healed. I'm healed. Did she walk off that deathbed? No, she died there. But as I always like to preach you, there was one time she said, I'm healed. And then she woke up on the streets of gold and Jesus. I said, Jesus. Hey, I said Jesus looked right at her and said, Yes, you are. You're healed. Never to be sick again. I'll trust God. Even if I take some L's in this life because I know I get the W with him in the end. Brother or sister, I hope today you've heard good teaching and you've heard good preaching and that now you can walk out these doors and you can live it. Because don't, don't, don't blame your bad days on me and say, well, pastor said if I sold $100 seed, I would have a blessed life. Oh, if pastor said if I only confessed and manifest, I could have whatever I want. Doesn't always work like that. Don't put that back on me. I told you today how to go through a funeral. I don't speak it on anybody, but in Jesus' name, I've showed you how to go to your funerals as well as to your victory laps. I hope and pray that you and I have more victory laps in life than we have defeats. I hope and pray that. But do you know that there's been generations that all they saw was a lot of defeat? As we talked about the slave trade, do you know that there were people that believed the whole time that freedom was going to come, they never saw it? Do you know that there were people in the Holocaust, they died believing that they would see freedom. They couldn't imagine that one day the Israelites would get their land back as they did in the 40s. They lived and died only in the sewage of the Holocaust and concentration camps. But God keeps His Word. God keeps His Word. Don't ever let shame or condemnation come on you because of what's going on in your life. And have the devil look at you and say, ha, 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 where's your God? Say, my God has his foot on your neck. That's where he is right now. Just look up at my God stomping on you. And I might stomp on you a little bit right now. Because the Bible says you will stomp on scorpions and snakes. You won't, yeah, help him out, brother. (laughs) You're going to stomp on him. He said, I've given you Power. Come on, brother. He, he didn't miss it. You got to just tag him. Just we got to get him. Not I don't want to say. I don't want to say we want to get him a, a what do you call that a buzzer? What do they call those things like a taser? We don't want to get him a taser, but we do want to help and prod him a little bit. Let's pray in closing. Father, we thank you that as laughs come, tears also come. Lord, I thank you that we're able to, to see that you're in the midst of this moment. If you're here today and you yet don't know Jesus as the resurrection in life, would you call out to him to save you right now? All you have to do is say, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. You died on the cross for me, rose again, so that I can have spiritual life and eternal life. Right now, if that's you, pray that out. In just a few moments, we'll dismiss. You can come to the front or even now if you want. But for the